So I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. You can find this on page 679 in the Bibles provided in the chair. Isaiah chapter 5, starting at verse 1. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would just guide us in your truth. Father, your word is inspired, infallible, inerrant, all-sufficient. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment at this time through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would know your truth. For to know your truth is to know your Son, Jesus Christ. And to know and believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, is to be set free. Oh, Father, we pray that you would guide us in this time. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. As we enter now again into Isaiah, we had taken a break from Isaiah uh, sermon series to look at Matthew and then Luke 2 last week. But now we enter back into Isaiah chapter 5. And here again, we see a powerful, powerful statement of judgment that God is rendering. If you go back and look at Isaiah chapter 4, we're going to look at this key text, that's this statement just before what we looked at this morning. And this will help to set some of the context for what we're going to look at in Isaiah chapter 5. So if you look at Isaiah 4, we saw this promise 
in Isaiah chapter 4. And it's the promise that God would save a remnant, that he would save a people, that he would be gracious and merciful. So Isaiah chapter 4, starting at verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by the spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. So as we looked at and as we went through Isaiah chapter 4, we see here already Isaiah in chapters 1, 2, and 3 has been developing these two key themes. The first key theme is this. The people of God, the people to whom God has loved, the people whom God has given his law, he has given them prophets, he has displayed miraculous signs. These are the people to whom he created a nation from Abraham and Sarah. So from this barren couple, he brings about a nation and he gives them the covenant, the promises, the laws. He gives them the prophets. He leads them and guides them. He frees them from slavery. He does everything to display his power, his sovereignty, his truth, his might, his glory again and again and again. Yet, His people fall into disobedience. They rebel against his law. They refuse to listen. They refuse to live as he has taught them and sent prophets to, to explain. And this, he, They chase after other gods. Gods of their own making. Gods that are worthless idols. They fall into the surrounding immorality of the nations around them and turn away from the holiness that God calls them to. So we see in Isaiah this theme of God is going to display his judgment against his disobedient people. So that's the first key theme we've seen develop. But then also you have this second theme. That though God's people have been disobedient, though they have broken the covenant, God is always faithful. And he will keep his side of the covenant. Not only that, but he will keep a remnant and he will make a people to be his people. And what we're seeing here, though, is how is it that God will have a holy people when it shows very clearly that God's people are unable in and of themselves 
to be obedient to his word and his truth. How is it that God can make a holy people? And as we saw in Isaiah 4, God is going to make a holy people in the branch, in the twig, in the shoot of Jesse. And here, of course, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. That ultimately there is the true Israel. There is the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the Holy One. And that is how God will have a holy people. Is He will have a people who will come to know that they need a Savior. A people who will cry out in repentance. Who will cry out knowing that God's just wrath is on them. That, that they are under condemnation. That they are, they are children of disobedience. And, and, and as the Holy Spirit would make them alive. To give them a, a new heart and a new mind. And enable them to to understand their sin and understand God's grace, and they cry out, we see where God makes a holy people. Again, this is what Isaiah 4 said. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land and glory of the survivors of Israel. And the key word there that ties into chapter 5 is survivors. Survivors. Because as we see in chapter 5, God again is rendering his judgment. That he is going to allow the nations to come in, to take captive, to destroy Jerusalem, to scatter God's people, to take into captivity God's people, and God will bring his judgment yet the only way for holiness and the only way this remnant will survive is if they are in the branch if they're in the branch so what's powerful about our text of isaiah chapter 5 is it speaks of a vineyard we see where jesus christ uses the same story he speaks of this parable And if you go to Matthew chapter 21, you'll see where Jesus is going back to Isaiah 5 to draw upon this this depiction of this vineyard. And Jesus is going back there to tie out this theme that the only way God will have a holy people is if they believe and trust in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father No one is a child of God except through Jesus Christ and the work that he's going to accomplish on the cross to deal with sin. So if you look at Matthew 21, in verses 28 through 46, you have a series of parables. You have have two key parables. And the first parable in Matthew 21, Uh, 21 starting at verse 28 is about a man having two sons and it says there what do you think a man had two sons and he went to the first and said son go and work in the vineyard today and he answered i will not but afterward 
he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same and answered. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Have mercy. Have mercy. It's Jesus here. He's, he's preaching to the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests. That's where when we get down to verse 45, it says the chief priests and the scribes I mean, the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables and they perceived that he was speaking about them. So you have this first parable and this parable, it depicts where where God goes to the nations and says, you do my will. And they say, no. But eventually, those of every tribe, nation, language, people who are God's elect They do come. They do do. They do serve. But God comes to his people Israel and they say, oh, yes, we will. We will. And they don't. This powerful indictment because what Matthew 21 is doing is getting at words. If they don't match the fruit, if they don't match the heart and the doing of the person, those words are, are meaningless. So then he goes on, verse 33, here's another parable. Here, another parable. And here we see in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 32, almost a word-for-word description of what we saw in Isaiah 5. Here's where Jesus goes back to Isaiah 5, And he's explaining what Isaiah 5 meant then and what it means for the people during his day, for the scribes and Pharisees and the people of Israel, and what it means for us today. So here you have Jesus interpreting an Old Testament text for us through this parable. So Matthew 21, 33, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. And put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit grew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Verse 37. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? 
verse 41, they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Verse 43, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And again, verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So here we see Jesus again displaying where so many of the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests, were doing the same thing as was taking place in Isaiah. The same disobedience toward God, the same presumption where they thought that they looked and sounded the part, but their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were far from God. And we see where Jesus speaks his indictment. It isn't just Isaiah that uses the same imagery of the vineyard and the vine and, and bad or wild grapes. Jeremiah does the same thing. Jeremiah chapter 2. God says the same thing as he's speaking how he's going to, to chastise and bring judgment on his people. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting at verse 19, he says, Your evil will chastise you, and your apostasy will remove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I will not serve. And then as it goes down to verse 21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? It's almost a direct, direct parallel statement to what we saw in Isaiah 5, where God says the same, same statement. God says this in Isaiah 5, starting at verse 4. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Same thing in Jeremiah 2. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And here gets the key for what I think is being portrayed in Isaiah 5 and Jeremiah 2 and what Christ was pointing out in Matthew 
21 in those two parables is this. It's, it's Jeremiah 2, 22. Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. And here again we see that the purpose of the law, the purpose of Israel in the Old Testament is to make this very clear. We cannot save ourselves. No one can save themselves. No one is righteous enough to make atonement for their own sins. Remember, that was the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament was, was you'd go up to the temple and the priest would offer a bull or a lamb or two pigeons or two doves or, or, or a grain offering. All these offerings was because blood had to be shed. There had to be an atonement, a blood sacrifice to cover your sins. But what was so sad was in Isaiah, during the time where Isaiah was prophesying and speaking the truth of God, the people were still going to the temple and sacrifices were still taking place. But their hearts were not right. They say, well, we're the people of God. We have the law, we have the prophets, we have the temple. And that presumption and that pride was so strong that they said, as long as we do that on the Sabbath, the rest of the week we can live however we want. We can disregard God's law. We could live for sin, live for corruption, live for unrighteousness. That as long as we look our best on the Sabbath and go through the motions of the temple, We're good to go. And Isaiah said that kind of deception and that kind of hypocrisy and that kind of delusion. The only place you're going to go with that is to destruction. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 5. God says, if this is how the vineyard is going to act, then he is going to destroy the vineyard. All the protections he put in place you see being removed in verse 5. And now I tell you what I will do to the vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. And we see where in verse 5, again, it speaks of the judgment of the house of Israel and also of Judah. Because God looked for justice and he looked for righteousness, but he did not find justice and righteousness in the people. Instead, he found bloodshed and an outcry. 
The Apostle Paul picks up on this key theme in Romans 2. If you look at Romans 2, Romans chapter 2, verses 2 through 11, I just encourage you at some time to, to read through that whole section. It will just enter you into this key theme here. I'm just going to touch on a few of the verses. I'm going to start at verse 2. Romans 2, verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's the key. That's the key. As Isaiah 5 says, God did everything. Isaiah 5 verse 4, what more was there to do for my vineyard? that I have not done for it. And that's what we see in Romans 2. God has displayed the riches of His kindness, the riches of His forbearance, the riches of His patience. God had shown Himself to be steadfast and faithful, long-suffering, slow to anger, and boundless in grace and mercy. And the whole purpose of that was so his people would be brought to repentance so that they would realize that it didn't matter how much lie and how much soap they used, that they still had the stains of their sin, that they needed the branch, that they needed the Savior, that they needed the one who had come and shed his blood. It's only in his blood that the guilt of our sins can be washed away. So God's, the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience are to drive us to repentance. To drive us to to believe, to put all our faith and all our hope on Jesus Christ, the branch. That He's everything. That we realize that He is the vine. And his father is the vine dresser. That that Jesus is the only source of life and holiness to be heirs of God, to be the people of God. And that ultimately is where I think Jesus is is speaking of of Isaiah 4, of his judgment of Isaiah 5. For me, I think it's in John 15 where I see this all brought together, these, these themes. So if you look at John 15, I'm just going to read a few of the verses. If you're able to this this evening at our six o'clock Bible study, fellowship and prayer time, Lord willing, we'll be going through uh, John 15 in, in greater detail. But if you look at John 15, verse one, it says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This is the judgment that we see spoken of in Isaiah 5. This, this, 
this, this destruction, this judgment. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then down to verse 5, here's Jesus speaking. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's it. That's the key reality of this. That's the issue, I think, driving at what God is teaching here in Isaiah 5. This is the key to this theme of, of Jeremiah 2. Again, Jeremiah 2, 22. Though you wash yourselves with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. And again, John 15, 5, Jesus speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. But with Jesus Christ... If we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us. Oh. Oh, it's, it's beyond comprehension and understanding. How God so powerfully works in our lives. But we see in John 15, verse 6, we see the same judgment is, is rendered in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Then verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And we see the key commandment of verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. We see the powerful reality of judgment displayed in Isaiah 5. It's a powerful reality. It doesn't matter what your last name is, what your background, what your people group or language or nation. It doesn't matter who you have been. If you do not abide in Jesus Christ, if you do not believe in him as your Lord and Savior, if you do not see that he is your everything, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be gathered and thrown into the furnace of eternal conscious torment. But also, it doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter your background, your people group. It doesn't matter what language, tribe, people. It doesn't matter who you've been or what you've done. If you would but cry out, Jesus, I need you. You are the only way the stains of my guilt can be washed away. 
you're saved. If you abide in Christ, you're saved. If you live in Him and He lives in you, you're saved. Because what did it say in Isaiah 4? It said this. In the day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Holy. That's the good news in Jesus Christ. Regardless of how sour you have been, how bitter and rancid to the taste of God, when it comes to in regards to your belief and trust and living in Him, know that if you are God's child, He has placed His love on you from before the foundation of the earth. Know that in Christ, that love can be displayed and you can walk in the freedom of sin, in the freedom of judgment. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. In Jesus, you have life eternal. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we are so humbled when we realize that there's, there's no strength, there is no righteousness, there are no works, there is no ability that we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Father, we pray that you would remind us if we seek to find comfort or security in our pride or our strength, or if we presume on our our standing because of anything but the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, we pray that you would wake us up, bring us to life. Father, I pray that you would help us all to know that It is being in the branch, in the vine, in your son, Jesus Christ, through faith that we are saved by your grace and your grace alone. Father, I just pray if there's anyone here who isn't abiding in Christ, oh Lord, I pray that you would make them alive, that they would see how wonderful, how glorious, how mighty is your power to wash people clean and make them holy. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.